In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson this week on the show Catherine Yu, executive editor of no pro is joined by danny canazaro and samantha gorman of tender claws to talk about virtual virtual reality 2 the sequel to the studio's cult hit virtual virtual reality which dropped on the meta quest and rift this week and will be coming to steam vr soon and I'll have a chat with Robert Modem, the creator of the site-specific TheaterBot, which has been delighting us on Twitter. But first, a quick word of thanks. We have had an astounding 31 backers join our Patreon this month. We put out a call because February has become a make-or-break month for NoPro. And while we have a long way to go, I'm feeling some hope. Let's give some thanks to the folks who jumped in this week. They are Cynthia Von Bueller, Mark C. Marino, Lissa Soap, Hi, Lissa, Christy Casey, Ben Rosner, Chelsea Sutton, James Matthew Martin, Ty Wynn, and Katrina Kuluridis. Thank you all so much. Uh, the rally continues. As I mentioned, 31 backers so far this month which is the most we've ever had in a single month. We now stand at 365 backers, one for every day of the year. And that's the most we've ever had. But we're still about halfway to where NoPro needs to be. And while I'm feeling hope for the first time in a long time that we're going to be able to get the long-term structural support to carry on and even expand the work, we still can't do it without you if you aren't a backer already. Patreon.com slash no is the fastest way to show your support. A $2 or $5 a month pledge makes all the difference in the world to us. And I know things are hard financially for everybody. I shop at the store. I've seen the prices. Things are not great. We're being crushed from above. And this here has always been kind of an insurgency, if you will, in the larger culture. Um, look, we're also open to sponsorship and underwriting of the podcast and site if you happen to be uh, operating at that level of resources, if you're a company, uh, if you're looking to make an impact that way. Uh, if that's something of interest to you, reach out to me, Noah at noprocinium.com, and we can talk about that. Uh, would be very happy to have support that way as well. And now, back to the regular part of the show and Catherine Yu with this week's headlines. Hello, it's Catherine Yu, executive editor of No Proscenium. Here's what's in your immersive headlines for February 11. Musician David Byrne's immersive theater show, created in collaboration with neuroscientist Mala Gankar, is set to make its world premiere in Denver in late August. The production, titled Theater of the Mind, will take audience members through a journey of, quote, self-reflection, discovery, and imagination, end quote, all inspired by and grounded in real-life science. The show is meant to be an intimate one for groups of only 16 audience members at a time. 
Meanwhile, the McKittrick Hotel in NYC began welcoming audiences again earlier this month. That is right. Sleep No More, Punch Drunk's award-winning immersive retelling of Macbeth is back. With some small design and health and safety modifications, of course. You can get a peek at the changes to the production in the recent New York Times article by Alexis Solowski. Sleep No More, New York's grand reopening is set for February 14th. Additionally, the French company Culture Spaces has announced that it will be staging its first North American exhibit in Lower Manhattan. Culture Spaces is best known for the popular immersive Van Gogh experience, which was housed at Atelier des Lumières in Paris and featured on the TV show Emily in Paris. The company plans to mount new bespoke digital art experiences every 10 to 12 months in their new digs. Over on the other side of the Atlantic, London-based immersive theater company Parabolic Theater has announced their new permanent immersive venue named Crypt. This new venue is dedicated to immersive and interactive theater, and it will open in the heart of Bethnal Green in March. The company is also committed to rehoming shows, which were due to run at the Vault Festival, which was unfortunately canceled earlier this year. The first performances at Crypt are set to begin in April. Londoners will also have the chance to experience a David Attenborough-narrated augmented reality journey all about the planet Earth. Created by Factory 42, with BBC Studios and inspired by the Natural History Unit landmark series, the Green Planet AR experience will allow visitors to travel through five digitally enhanced worlds, including rainforest, freshwater, saltwater, desert, and the seasons. Tickets are free, and the exhibition runs through March 9. These have been your immersive headlines. Thanks, Catherine. In a moment, we'll have her talk with Danny Canazaro and Samantha Gorman of Tenderclaws. But first, a quick disclosure. Catherine did her grad school internship at Tenderclaws this past year, which included working on parts of the game. It was my call to have her do the interview, as I saw her familiarity with the studio as an asset in the discussion you're about to hear. Now, you can find my launch day impressions on the game on our website. Hello, everyone. This is Catherine Yu, executive editor of No Persinium, and I am delighted to have the studio co-leads of Tender Claws here with us today. If you could introduce yourselves. Sure. Uh, I am Danny Canazaro. I'm one of the co-leads of Tender Claws um, here with Samantha. Hi, I'm Samantha, the other co-lead of Tender Claws. And uh, y'all have a very special project that uh, has just been announced by the time this drops. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So this is a project we actually started working on um, maybe three years ago and predates our uh, most current project, The Under Presents. We're super excited to get to announce it and share it with the world. It is a um, spiritual sequel to our one of our first works, uh, Virtual Virtual Reality, and is a um, long form game, um, a narrative narrative comedy action mech platformer adventure about the uh, collapse in the metaverse. Metaverse, what a hot topic! And yet, you y'all seem to have been working on this for quite some time. So, um, so Virtual Virtual Reality Two is this your commentary about the metaverse, VC funding, digital afterlives. Let's unpack that a little. Yeah, I think um, 
virtual virtual reality kind of was our game that was both a love letter to VR and a little bit about kind of the, the hype cycle and the newfound enthusiasm for VR. Um, and VVR2 kind of continues that and is a little bit our look at some of the trends we see going on in the, the medium, as well as uh, our imagining kind of like, what does it mean to try and create a utopia? And then what does it mean if that utopia is then owned by someone who can kind of turn off the power switch at any moment? And what happens to the avatars that are uploaded once that does happen? So what made you want to return to the VVR universe in the first place? I think it was more the fact that um, it started kind of a lot of our projects start as sort of something that like um, amuses us or interests us. And I, I guess to, to, to back up a second, I had thought about this and I had um, for a while, but I hadn't articulated it until today that I kind of see this project, um, you know, VVR2 Scottsdale as like a part of the trilogy with VVR, Tendar, and you know now VVR2, which are very much a similar type of tone, humor, um, kind of, you know, um, <laughs> comedic love letter to the sort of um, the, the ups and downs of, of trends and culture and, and the industry. And um, I wanted to kind of, you know, finish off that story. Uh, also, we were really amused by and interested in a, a few different um, kind of things that were going around the zeitgeist. And, you know, one was looking at the real, true um, outpouring of uh, entities like Club Penguin shutting down, Sims Online, and just thinking about the interesting, like, anthropology of like the experience of a multiplayer world. And then, you know, this was also before and predating and during creating the under. So it was, you know, before we really had a lot of experience with our own sort of, you know, um, multiplayer world too. But those, uh, that concept definitely intrigued us. And also there's this sort of like interest in this idea of um, companies like Alcor Cryogenics where in like in, in a far future, this is a really speculative design story of a speculative design future where if you upload your mind, you know, you there's people who are cryogenically like freezing just their mind with the hopes that, you know, maybe hypothetically, you know, it'll be able to hold brain emulation and it'll be uploaded kind of like similar to the end of VVR. So let's say that's possible and you upload your mind into a, like a platform or a virtual social um world and you know what happens if, if that world um, changes. Fascinating. So I guess from maybe more of a bird's eye view, um, what ideas were you exploring in the first virtual virtual reality as well as Tendar? And how does creating uh, VVR2 close that loop in this sort of trilogy you just described, Sam? Yeah, so I think we were a lot of our interest, or at least a lot of, um, you know, my interest is in creating an, an interweaving narrative with the mechanisms that tell that narrative and kind of talking about some of these reflect, like reflecting on society through the mechanisms of gameplay. So you have a lot of that in, you know, VVR, which there's sort of a meditation on, you know, the nature of VR, but there, uh, there's a meditation on, you know, gig labor, there's, and there's a meditation on AI, and this, like, very loose concept of AI, but AI from different lenses kind of filters through all three projects, and I know Danny um, had talked about this and actually had said something really um, interesting, but it's the different ways that AI are kind of dealt with, and Danny, do you want to um, take it? Sure. Yeah, I think, so, in VVR, you are positioned as kind of like 
uh, a human labor doing emotional labor for AI. It's a kind of time of like post-scarcity where like humans are kind of the well-kept pets of AIs. And so we were kind of exploring like, what would that relationship be like in this hypothetical future? And, um, and then with Tendar, we were looking at a different type of relationship. Tendar was our AR game. And so with an AR game, it's really about bringing in the world around the player. And so what we did in Tendar is we really looked at like, what does it mean to try and like bin all of our emotions and all of the world around us into these very discrete kind of categories? And what would it be like to try and teach an AI what, what it means to be human or to feel emotions? And so that's kind of the, some of the themes that Tendar explored. And then in Virtual Virtual Reality 2, we started with the premise that, okay, we're going to like the world of Activitude and VVR1 has pivoted. Instead of humans working for AIs, we're going to create this utopia where humans and AIs can live together and can even merge consciousness and like be together in this uh, this metaverse space. And that is Scottsdale. And so VVR2 starts with you uploading to Scottsdale Online, this uh, supposed utopia of humans and AIs, uh, which of course immediately runs out of funding and you spend the rest of the game trying to, to escape it and like uh, merging with different AIs and other consciousnesses along the way as you try and kind of like uh, get off the servers before it all comes crashing down. It's essentially a comedy narrative platformer about escaping from dying worlds. Ah, I see. No, no particular parallels to real life or anything there. Uh, so, Dana, you mentioned some of the other consciousnesses around there. I'm sure there are some big fans of Virtual Virtual Reality 1 out there who are wondering, uh, who, who is present in Scottsdale? Who are some of the non-player characters that you might run into? Um, so I think... I think Samantha, there's so many characters. First off, this is the biggest <laughs> game we've ever made. I think the script came in at like 600 plus pages or something. Um, so there, there's a lot of characters in there. But the one of the core things that kind of tickled us when we made this project was, well, what if we take one of the main characters of the first game, Chaz, and instead of having Chaz just be a character in this game, what if we made Chaz into a giant like mech that you could pilot around and fly the headsets. Instead of putting on the headsets, you're flying them like little airships. And what if you could actually be part of the Chaz Collective? So the game starts off and you meet new characters, but there's also Chaz there. There's a stowaway in the Chaz mech um, that we refer to as the Chaz Rat, who is actually a, a, a well-known character, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, so, so yeah. some familiar faces may show up if you're a fan of the first game, but uh, if you haven't played VVR one, I imagine that there's you know some something for everyone here. Yeah, so, so you, want, you want to talk to that because I th I know you like really designed it or wrote it to be something that's standalone too. Yeah. So even though. There's conceptual um, ties and fans of, you know, VVR can recognize that world here. It's also, it stands alone and kind of starts from like that we're using that pivot, you know, that this like kind of cycle of, of company pivots and different products to almost reset a little bit the rules of the universe. So it can be, um, it can be played standalone. And it's also, you know, we like to challenge ourselves and like going, you know, doing different approaches. Um, and this is definitely like a very different gameplay style than, you know, the under, there is some crossover, but we also wanted to really engage with 
this concept of what do um, what do enemies and and combat look like in this space? So, what do enemies and combat look like from the Tender Claws perspective, which I imagine is quite different than a lot of other games out there? Well, I, it starts out unsurprisingly with a vacuum-like tool where you can vacuum up stuff all over the world and objects that you can either kind of grind down into CP goo, which is like a computing goo that powers the world, or you can like reverse the flow of your vacuum and use it to kind of like shoot out into the world. Uh, the more CP goo you collect, you get the ability to kind of slow down time, which is used in a fun way in VR. And then each roommate that you upload, as you're piloting this Chasmech through the dying world, every time you upload and merge minds with a new roommate, they add on a tool or an ability. So at some point you end up getting some boxing gloves on springs. Another point you end up with a, a dog puppet named Mr. Golden Frappen who like spits out goo that kind of controls these little deletion larvae you can kind of like tell to delete away parts of the world. Another thing that I know is pretty important to other Tender Claws projects is the soundscape. And so at least uh, looking at the trailer, it seems like music is something that is really rich in Scottsdale, if you can talk about that aspect of it. Yeah, Samantha, do you want to talk about some of the... the um... yeah. yeah, I'm wondering what to give away. So there, there's elements of when we first were writing this and we were constructing it. And I think that's going to... Um, more and more throughout the year will become apparent is that it's, it's structured as a little bit like an opera. Um, so the the characters themselves, a lot of them um, have, you know, at least in, in our mind in development, have theme songs. And we, you know, got um, some of the artists we had worked with before, Aaron, like Aaron Markey came back and, you know, did a special song for the game. Um, the lead, Gavin, is... Um, <laughs> as uh, Dakota, who's a musician, who like had some, you know, just really brilliant, funny, like mind meld, like, you know, lo-fi Casio songs about the characters. There's a lot of, you know, I think uh, musical humor involved too. Yeah, I think, um, I think the, we cast Dakota specifically because he also or had this musical practice. And so the character of Gavin, uh, who's like one of the main characters you meet away in the story, like does this kind of like Casio keyboard electronic folk music and is it constantly kind of like singing songs about other roommates or other things. And so there is a little bit of like a musical element that goes through that. And then there's like, there's an elaborate ASMR kind of like uh, rhythm game parody section that involves some music in there. So it, yeah, it definitely has a different styles and types of music throughout. It seems like uh, you probably went through a bunch of different types of combat mechanics weapons um what's the like guiding principle that ties it all together yeah i think um i think we started off interaction wise with the core idea that uh at any point in the experience you could kind of either be this mech like you could hit a button and inhabit embody the mech like your arms would be the giant robot arms um or you could press another button and kind of like go inside the mind of that mech, at which point you were in a situation with like all the other roommates and mind mates that were kind of like backseat drivers. And so that was where we started from that interaction thing is what does that lead to in terms of like having to navigate an outside world, which might have enemies, but also having to 
navigate interpersonal drama of like one roommate's not doing the dishes. And uh, from there, we kind of just built out this world. And I think that led to stuff like, um, that led to stuff like uh, security systems and deletion happening on the outside and uh, things that resemble more traditional boss battles and a whole kind of range of interactions. It's a little bit like maybe like inside meets, um, you know, the crumbling and the crumbling of worlds and like the death of worlds, like the end of never ending story. Wow. What a, what a host of uh, inspirations. So what do you hope people take away from experiencing this project? I hope that I think there's like hopes on various levels, like one, you know, side of hopes of writer, the other side is like what the experience will be. And um, there's a lot that I I think there's a lot about the world that's kind of like surreal and heightened and, you know, even parts that are, you know, funny. Um, But I'm hoping that it will still feel like there's, you know, grounding in the characters or, or motivations or, there's things you discover, the, the game kind of unfolds. You know, when you think you get a hand of other uh, on a mechanic, it introduces a new mechanic. And I'm hoping that it feels like a little bit from the narrative that you're, you know, unfolding and you're going on this journey with these characters along the way. Anything to add to that, Danny? I mean, I, I, feel, like, I feel like some of our creative process is very iterative too, where uh, at least personally, I often don't have like a very explicit like end goal, but instead like to find uh, interaction that feels very specific or a story beat or something that's interesting and then just kind of like follow it and develop it and see where it leads. And I think this game has a lot of that too, where it kind of like, uh, like Samantha said, it unfolds over time and it like, it takes you on just kind of this like, yeah, like very uh, crazy journey through a bunch of different spaces and a bunch of different ideas around VR and metaverse and technology and utopias and failed utopias. And, um, but yeah, I, I think, I think a lot of our projects and especially these that are a little bit reflective on the media, uh, we, we'd like to try and just make people think about the, the mediums that they're using and like some of the, like just examining them, um, critically and not just taking them for, for granted, but thinking about like what, like implications they have and what um, the ways in which they're used. Cause I think that's, uh, I think it's fun to explore some of these new, new genres before the the rules of what they are, are firmly set kind of in, in culture. And yeah. I think it's, Oh, sorry. No, and please go project, ahead. <laughs> there's, we were talking and I think there's an interesting theme, you know, we're really interested in um, a kind of like comedic in general kind of, curious examination of what happens to the so like what happens to the the basic everyday you know your existence in the social sphere if like the public commons are owned you know like if there's if your existence is owned what does that mean um especially for you know like as the avatars are they're the only copy of their uh and they're their, you know, body basically <laughs> uploaded as you're, you're all digital. What does it mean to exist and live in the digital? What does death mean for the digital? One of the first things the game asks you is there's a little survey question as you're like being uploaded into Scottsdale Online. And there's a question of like, what would you, what do you want done with like your body? Do you want it turned into glitter or aquamation or uh, cryopreservation? And the, 
the name Scottsdale actually comes from um, looking at Scottsdale, Arizona as like one of the places where real world uh, cryogenics companies are headquartered because it's it's very kind of like as a stable power grid and like good weather and um, and that was just fascinating to us, both that and both like Scottsdale is kind of like a retirement community and the idea of like retirement communities and these kind of planned, yeah, planned uh, utopias and looking at how those function and how those relate to the concept of the metaverse. And uh, yeah, I think the inspiration for the project came from the joke that Scottsdale's tagline is the official slogan of the city is the most livable city <laughs> in quotes. Um, so that, yeah, amused us with the, the concept of like preservation and cryogenics and like, what does that mean? Oh my goodness. Well, I think we're running out of time here. So I just have one more question. I don't know which one of you wants to answer it first. And I'm sure other people are going to start asking this too. What do you want done with your body when you die? Since you brought it up. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I have to call out uh, Zelvier Nelson, who like we is the originer of the, the the glitter idea, and I think that's a, you know, glitter is glitter is great. <laughs> I'm gonna go with glitter. Okay. Yeah, I, I haven't. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't thought of that. Um, the uh, like Scottsdale doesn't make the the best case for for uploading and digitizing it, but uh, it does seem amusing. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe let's take some time to figure that out. But uh, again, thank you both so much. Virtual Virtual Reality 2 coming out soon to a headset near you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. Thank you. scrolling on Twitter, sometimes you find things that surprise and delight you. Those can be coming from people or they can be coming from bots. One such bot is the site-specific theater bot, which has produced such gems as New Idea, a mime forced to scream staged at a gas station at night, and Coming April 2025, an immersive relational site-based one-on-one performance staged in a reflecting pool. I'm pretty sure I've seen at least one of those shows in reality or will be getting a press release for one of them soon, maybe even both. Today, we're talking with the creator of the site-specific theater bot. That is Robert Modem. He is a PhD candidate at the Center for Drama, Theater, and Performance Studies at the University of Toronto. Robert, thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great. Robert, uh, this popped up on our radar uh, some time ago, and uh, I'm, I, I've been curious. One, I could never tell if this was a person writing all of these or if it really was one of those kind of tweet bots that you have. So which is it, for starters? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'd say it's a little bit of both. Um, so the uh, the bot, like a lot of the Twitter bots that you find online, um, I, is based on a very, very simple algorithm that just strings random sent, uh, sentence fragments together. So uh, I create the sentence fragments. I think there are about 900 different fragments in it right now. And then it just randomizes it and sticks it together to hopefully create a sentence that sometimes makes sense. What? 
is your do you have a do you have a favorite before I was I was about to get into like the details of it but do you have a favorite thing the bot has come up with do you got one in particular other than the pin tweet because I, I the mime one was a pin tweet and that one's a classic okay. uh yeah one of the first ones that it did uh was an audio performance of a poem performed in the backseat of your car and that just felt like something I'd been to before it uh yeah uh it sort of resonated um, another great one is a rendition of your favorite aria staged as a game of telephone with a thousand strangers, um, which I think is just, uh, like a hilarious, hilarious image. <laughs> I think someone's written a grant for that at some point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what was the impetus here? Um, uh, you, you started this, um, if memory serves you, well, you started this like what, last year, right? Or late yeah. 2020? Yeah, uh, last year, um, it's coming up on almost a year of this project being alive now. Uh, March 2021, um, I'm here in Ontario, uh, the University of Toronto. We were in the middle of a third wave lockdown, second wave lockdown, something like that. And um, I just it wanted even to... even a wave at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, create something creative and, um, uh, and kind of fun and quirky that uh, might brighten, you know, I figured two people would follow it and uh, might brighten someone's day. Um, I think at the same time I was having, uh, you know, as a site-specific creator, all of these site-specific ideas and jotting them down in in a notebook. And uh, this seemed like a a different interpretation of that. (laughs) There's definitely some that feel, and there's, you can, if you look at the whole of it, it it pops one out about every four hours. But if you look at them in aggregate, you'll see there's certain themes I know it's around Christmas. There's a lot about Joseph and the nativity. Uh, that that was that something you waited. By the way, like it was like, oh, put put some of these in here right now. Do you have any control over what the bot does, or the bot just the bot just does what the bot does? For the most part, the bot does what it does. But yeah, if there's um, something coming up that um, yeah might be somewhat relevant to talk about, uh, I I go into the back end and do a little bit of editing and add a couple. Uh, couple new sentence fragments to the tweet or take out ones that might be um, getting repetitive if somehow in the 900 different fragments, you know, one comes up three times in a day or something. I'm always kind of like, why, why? <laughs> the algorithms get obsessed with things too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a pitch bot basically. So of course it's going to just like focus on, you know, it's like th- throwing lots of uh, spaghetti at the wall, seeing what sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, have you come across anything that, you see, I mean, obviously you've written all the fragments. So some of this stuff is your subconscious being reorganized by a machine intelligence for, for lack of a better term. Have you ever seen something that strikes you and you're just like, Oh, I, I, I wish I had actually thought of that. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, I always like the, the sentences that, that somehow fit together. Um, because some of the, you know, some of the first uh, parts of a sentence might start with an audio play or a podcast or something. And so it's always nice when like the last sentence syncs up and it's like, uh, listen to during another opera or listening, <laughs> listen to during another performance or um, uh, listen to in the backseat of your car, as that one said. Um, so it's fun when, yeah, when there's an actual logic to the sentence, but uh yeah, certainly all of them, I think, invite um, 
invite the reader to even for 20 seconds imagine what a game of telephone with a thousand strangers would be like and there's something um yeah something fun about that what's your own relationship to immersive and site-specific theater when when did that begin oh um probably about a decade ago, a little over a decade ago during my undergrad, I was introduced to site-specific work um, from a prof there. And uh, yeah, I just find that the site-specific form, um, often with its grounding like in the local, um, it's sort of a community-based uh, art form. I think it has the potential to be incredibly accessible in the way that it brings theater to new audiences. Um, and yeah, just sort of grabbed onto, grabbed onto that. Uh, I did a master's in site-specific theater, which exists. Um, if you travel to a tiny little town on the coast of Wales, Aberystwyth, town of 9,000 people, but like 152 pubs. So, um, tells you something about my year there. <laughs> um, and then now I, I'm a site-specific practitioner in Toronto and, um, doing my PhD on the, on the topic on the forum. So, uh big part of my life. Is there a particular type of production that you hope to kind of get up on its feet as, uh, as the world attempts to spin back to something like what we had before? Yeah, um, there are. I also think that there have been a number of wonderful discoveries during this time that I just want to, um, keep exploring and playing with. Um, like what? Uh, in addition to yeah, in addition to this silly bot, uh, I've been working with a company um, creating a series of site-based uh, audio plays, really. But um, we're designing a platform that incorporates some augmented reality into them as well, um, and we're just releasing these to the public for free. And the ones that are out there so far, um, I get a notification to my phone anytime anybody does one. And it's just so wonderful to know that, you know, on a random Tuesday afternoon, there's somebody in this location out in my city uh, listening to this story that either I wrote or another local playwright wrote. Um, and so I think there's, yeah, I, I mean, obviously that's a COVID safe activity. It's outdoors. It gets people to experience their city in hopefully a slightly new creative way, um, which I all find really interesting. But um, yeah, there's also just something in that in that accessibility and the uh, the installation nature of it just being available at any time of day. Mm. Yeah, installation work is often, I mean, to this day, one of my favorite things is her long black hair uh, in New York City, which is it isn't even like geolocated. I mean, you need to be in the location to to do it, but you download all of the files ahead of time or you access them if you've got a right. good enough connection in Central Park. And it was created, oh gosh, I want to say like in the in the mid-late aughts. It's just right. been there for almost ever. It'll probably be like going on 20 years in a couple of years. And yeah. it's still just absolutely stunning and absolutely creative and... I often don't know why this sort of stuff isn't just everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Robert, what's been, what's been some of the, has this managed to open any doors for you, the, the theater bot or, or connect you with like interesting characters around, around the planet? Uh, Cause it's just such a fun, <laughs> yeah, a fun thing. For sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, I started it thinking that, you know, maybe five of my friends would follow it, um, or some local, you know, companies in Toronto that do some immersive work. 
But uh, yeah, no, I found this incredible, incredibly rich community of site-specific and immersive practitioners who, um, yeah, really grab onto some of these um, and from all over the world, um, uh, lots in South America. Uh, but this um, one person in New York, uh, Stephen Verdile, I think is his name, um, created a series. Um, he's a graphic designer. He created a series of Playbill uh, program covers uh, for versions of these tweets, for tweets that the bot tweeted out. Um, oh and uh, <laughs> so there's one where the bot says that this play by George Bernard Shaw takes place in an Arby's. And so... Uh, he has an Arby's on the cover and uh, different characters from Shaw plays. And it's just uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of perfect. <laughs> Robert, how long will the site-specific theater bot be running for? Is this uh, in perpetuity here? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of the neat thing about it, too, um, is that it just... Uh, in theory, we'll continue to tweet a new immersive or site-specific uh, site performance idea every four hours, um, in theory, for forever. <laughs> um, of course, you know, Twitter won't last forever, and the site that's hosting it won't Don't last say that. forever. <laughs> it's, um... It is eternal. It is hell. We cannot escape it. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll, it'll keep going. <laughs> All right. And for those who want to follow along, uh, what is the handle uh, for the bot? Yeah, it's at theater site, uh, theater spelt R-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E, at theater site, the site-specific theater bot. Robert Modem, thank you so much for being on the show this week. Thanks so much. That's it for this week's show. I know it was a it was a short one. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to go on a 15 minute rant because there's extra time. Uh, what I am going to do is thank Danny and Samantha and Robert for being our guests. I'm going to thank Catherine for jumping into the interviewer seat for uh, the virtual virtual reality two uh, uh, segment and. Yeah, I just gonna circle back real quick to the Patreon. Uh I know. Um just just overwhelmed uh with with the level of support uh mentally at, at the least. It's it's very it's so weird because financially still in the hole, but to watch like more than a score of people to see our biggest one day numbers, to see this outpouring of support, of belief, of faith. Uh, a lot of people who are putting in annual pledges um, to see all of that happening and to know that we have, you know, we, we live to fight another day. We, we, the runway gets a little extended. Um, and to know and to kind of think about like, oh, how transparent should I be, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, you know, the, the the runway is to about May right now. That's that's my runway uh, before like I'm in serious trouble. But um, every time we get a surge, we, we buy another week, we buy another month. Um, we keep things extending. And it's definitely this weird kind of uh cycle because i know that if we 
don't manage to get the numbers up that like I have to take on a bunch of freelancing or I have to go in house somewhere. That means I have to like, you know, the question becomes like, well, how much can I still do the work? Um, because, you know, I, I also have, um, a senior citizen that, uh, in the form of my mom, who's got health issues, who I have to be able to be present to go, go take her to appointments. Uh, we have some help with that. Of course, that help costs money. And what I'm trying to say is I'm an American, <laughs> like so many of you, trapped in a system we did not design, and that doesn't really work for anybody. And I've dedicated uh, a, a large chunk of my life to the idea that this uh, art form is uh, good in and of itself and can make everyone's lives better on a qualitative level uh, and doing that in a time that is, uh, you know, not, not the best time, not the best time, not the best point in history for, uh, uh, and definitely not the best time uh, in, in, in my lifetime. So, uh, it's 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 weird, but what's been great uh, these past couple of weeks is just everyone jumping in is really saying, don't cut and run. Don't cut and run. Keep in the fight. We want to see this. We want to see this happen. We believe in immersive work. We believe that better days are ahead. We're going to take this moment where everything is so tough and we are going to double down on our belief that the work that's been done here already needs to keep carrying on. And that's what gives me the resolve to figure my way out of this. Because a couple of weeks ago, at the end of January, I was in a really dark place. But turning to all of you and seeing the, the, the reach back, uh, I got choked up on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. All right. I promised you I wouldn't go on a long rant, so uh, I'm going to cut it short there. Uh, we've got the Emmys coming up next week. Uh, that is the the Audience Choice Awards for No Pro. Uh, this is the last day to vote. So if uh, you hadn't heard the past couple of weeks, go over to the website right now. Uh, check it out. Um, you, you do need to vote in three categories for your vote to count. Um, we hope that you have seen enough. Um or at least heard enough about things that you can choose. Uh, um, don't don't just choose randomly. Like do a little research if uh, you know if nothing else. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's a great group. I think over fifty nom- unique nominees across fourteen categories. Uh, and we're going to be doing that as a live show next week. We're going to record that as well. And I do believe the plan is that that is what the podcast is going to be next week. Where we'll have a that and a discussion. Also, speaking of podcasts, you'll also find in the feed here, the review crew is back. Uh, they are recording on the regular, not as many live shows, but because they're changing up, we're getting more people in from the East Coast, uh, swapping seats around. Uh, there were two segments on the review crew show this week. You can find it one stop back in the podcast feed. That also means coming up pretty soon, we'll get back to having the pick of the week. We'll have the pick of the week segment here as well. Uh, that's my goal. And yeah. Um, I better get going because apparently, uh, the, uh, the gardening happy, uh, neighbors are up to, uh, chaos, uh, somewhere around the building. I can hear the water pressure or is that a grinder happening? I don't know. There's going to be a lot of noise soon. So (laughs) 
better go. Making podcasts in an apartment. Oh yeah. Um, let's give one more final thank you, uh, to both everyone who's joined in the pod on the Patreon this month at patreon.com slash no presidium, but also to our sustaining backers who keep us, uh, who are the backbone of what we do. Ari Herstand, Brittany, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, David Bassick, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Balthazar, Samuel Mustry, Sydney Guillory, and Jan Budman. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin. Siobhan, I... I hi. Uh, for voicing our intro. Uh, Catherine Yu is executive editor at no pro and does our headlines and this podcast is uh edited etc etc and scripted by very roughly yours truly and until next time thank you for wearing the mask <laughs>